Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And we're back. It's another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. The Ducks come out on top with a much-needed win. Eddie, this was a 3-0 shutout for John Gibson, bumping his save percentage, which is at an all-time Ducks high to 9-2-5. He's now second in the league all by himself behind Pecorine. This may not have been the game us Ducks fans wanted or the game Randy Carlisle wanted or the team for that matter, but they got the points they needed. I felt like that was the theme for this game. This is a battered Canucks group. The Ducks came out and took advantage. Yeah, and I mean, it was really all John Gibson in this one, I I feel like. I mean, the Ducks played a good game offensively, but they definitely didn't dominate against a team that's sitting out of a playoff spot by a pretty wide margin. And like you said, they're facing their own injury problems. You've got... Brock Besser, arguably their best player out of the lineup, among others. So, yeah, I mean, it was a good effort, and it's nice to finally get back in the win column, for, well, for the Ducks, and I guess for us, because we were pumped that we started 3-0 and with the show, and now we're sitting here sitting at 3-3 and just hoping the Ducks would finally win a game and we can get back and have a, a pretty cheerful podcast. No, absolutely, and we move off of last show's theme from uh, Free Patterson to he's playing tonight. He took BX's spot. BX of Vermette and JT Brown all scratched tonight. Um, tough game for Pedersen and, and Boschman, though. They, they didn't have the best yeah. of games, which we'll get into later in the show because we obviously have to talk about that. Um, but, you know, in this, in this coming into this game, it was talked about as like a must-win mode for the Ducks. And then it was funny because reading uh, Eric Stevens' article today uh, from the OC Register, there was comments about, like, or mentions about how wide of a margin the Canucks are out of. It's like they're falling for Dolan pretty much. And Richie made a comment saying they're going to play pretty loose. And it's like, I don't know. Um, looking at the you know the advanced stats after this game, they pretty much chanced each other equally. The Ducks gave up some pretty high quality uh, chances throughout this game, and uh, they finally got what we've been we've been asking for. They got some secondary scoring. But as you said, it was a game the Ducks 
kind of didn't play their best game, and it was it was mostly Gibby. Um, how do you feel about like just overall how this game turned out? Is this something for us Ducks fans to finally be positive about, or is there some uh, homework to do before we play Detroit on Friday? I think it's kind of a mixed bag. Like I, I feel like there's definitely things to be positive about when you come out with a three nothing win. Uh, it, you know, after the games they played previously, you know, you can't really be too disappointed in it. But it is against a Vancouver team who are battling with a couple injuries. The Ducks didn't really dominate throughout this game. Um, I think they played it a bit safe, which is fine. I mean, coming off three losses in a row, you you want to do anything you can to get the win. But there's definitely some homework they can do. Definitely some things they can look at. And, and hopefully the secondary scoring can continue to improve and be consistent because they're going to need that. I mean, Detroit's not a hard opponent. Neither is New Jersey. But then again, New Jersey just thwomped the Vegas 8-3 today. So, I mean, they're, they're still going to be tough opponents. The Ducks need every win they can get. So uh, there's a lot of things they can still look at, fine-tune, and get ready for Detroit. Absolutely. And you know what? As much as we've been down on the Ducks, we got to be positive of the show because we got the much-needed two points with San Jose winning in overtime. Uh, tonight, the Ducks have to try to keep pace to you know, just make sure they squeak into the playoffs here. And so let's go ahead and uh, get the show started here so we can get started with the first period. Right again by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoops. Corey Perry. Lillian able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Just like that, after the intro again, chat gets lively. Nice to see everybody back in here when we get started into the first period. Uh, it's always a good sign. Uh, we got to get cracking on this first period. It was just an, uh, a great shift by, I never thought I would say, the fourth line. And with all the help from Montour, it gets the Ducks on the board nice and early, just 226 out of the first period. Chimera with the give-and-go feed to Montour. Montour with the screen, knows there's a screen in front, throws it on net. And as the cliche in hockey goes, throw the puck on net, score some goals, and uh, there you have it. Montour with his first goal in 50 flipping games. Um, what a yeah. good feeling for him with how well he's been playing there. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see him get one. Obviously, he ends up getting two in this game, and I think that's big for him. Oh, spoiler because... alert, Eddie. Spoiler alert. I know. I got, I got to throw the – I mean, everybody's coming in. They know what happened. So uh, <laughs> he got got one in the, here. He got the second one later on at the end of the game. And I think I'm both – uh, he, he he played it pretty well. He pinched in when he had to, showing that he's willing to get up in the play and not uh, you know not overcommit on plays he shouldn't. I, I thought he looked very good throughout this game, especially on this goal, because he comes down off the blue line, realizes that Chimera is going to win the puck behind the net, and kudos to Chimera as well. It's a good pass out to Montour, and he just gets enough of it to, to put it in over Markstrom, and good start. I mean, that's what the Ducks needed, really, after these last three games to come out and get a goal in the first three minutes and, and really set the play. Uh, I think that was a really, really good start. And as beautiful as, as, as it's been to watch the RPG line put points up and chances up on the board, it's always great to not only get a chip in from a fourth liner, but to have your defense chip in on this goal as well. Yeah. Um, like we were saying, we haven't seen a lot out of that Kelly and uh, Chimera pair that had come over at the trade deadline. And it's nice to see them get on the board. That's Chimera's. I think it was his first assist, if I remember correctly. He hasn't had a point since he's been here. Yeah. So good on him to get in. And uh, he's was talked about you know pretty much throughout this game along with Montour. Montour was involved everywhere. 
as the play goes on. Chimera ends up getting, you know, cut off the face-off, four-minute power play. I got a little pumped for this because this power play just looks there's like there's so much talent on this first power play unit for the Ducks. So many passes, just yeah. not enough chances being generated where they were getting clean shots off the net or on the net. Is that how you felt about it as well? They, you know, they love putting out that line of Fowler, Montour, Getzloff, um, Perry, and Henrique, and they just feel like that's quite enough quality to score, and they just couldn't find anything on the power play. It's almost like they're missing that trigger guy. And, like, I mean, I'm going to quote two guys here that obviously are kind of unique players, but Ovechkin and Line, where they've, you know, you know where they're going to be. They have their office on that left side circle, but there's nothing you can can do to stop them. And anytime they get the puck on the power play, they're usually shooting it on net. And the Ducks don't really have that. I think that was Perry's job back in the day. Uh, I mean, he didn't really work in that office, but he was the guy who'd shoot the puck. And now you've got Montu and Fowler who can get get some point shots when they can, but they usually like to pass it back and forth, and, and everything kind of works through Ryan Getzloff, and they don't have that guy who's going to shoot the puck. And I feel like Raquel could be that guy in the power play, but he doesn't always show that. Sometimes he also likes to make the pass. And and I feel like it's it's kind of a systems thing as well. I mean, they're going to have to set up and, and tell somebody, hey, you're the shooter, the puck's going to come to you, you're going to shoot the puck. And, and I, I don't think it's as simple as that, but that's at least a start and something they can look forward to. No, it's true. I mean, it's it's crazy how people look at um, – I mean, even just casual fans I've talked to have looked at what Ovechkin does from that circle. I'm like, he's just standing around yeah. on the power play. And then when he shoots the puck, how, how do they not know what's going to happen? It's like it's can't, you're that you can't good, stop it. <laughs> it just happens. When you're yeah. that good, you've done that, you've done that one-timer a million times in your life. You're just going to go in. So it's yeah. a lot to ask for from a player like that. I think Raquel's a great option there for the Ducks, but he does like being fancy with stick handles and, and also feeding the open man for the pretty play. So maybe they got to look at, like, I don't know, who else could you slot in there? I don't want to dive too deep yeah. on Ducks power play because it could be potent. But is there anybody in particular you want to slide in on there like that? I know Richie has a good shot, underrated shot, but is that somebody you would trust in that circle? No, one, one guy who I think they haven't utilized in that position, they've started to move him in his right position on the power play, but it's Brandon Montour. I feel like he probably has one of the best one-timers on the Ducks and is probably the perfect option to slot in on that left circle. But the problem is then you don't you either have three defensemen out there or you're putting Getzloff back at the point. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like at least if you're looking for a trigger guy who's going to pretty much always shoot for that position, Montour is a really good option. But the Ducks don't really have that guy who can do that. And I mean, you don't really need always need that guy. Not every team is going to have that guy on their power play. No, not every team sets up like Washington or Winnipeg where you've got a line in Ovechkin to go to. But I still think there's different opportunities where if you have a guy like Raquel, if he gets the puck on his stick, he should be told to shoot more often than not rather than look for the pass. Because like you've written here, I mean, the Ducks just they make too many passes pretty much every time they get a power play chance and they'll get a couple shots sometimes they will be good quality chances but they're usually just them overpassing no that's kind of been what's what's been happening with this power play until later in this game but uh for the rest of this first period you got a lot of nothing from the ducks and a lot of great shifts from the canucks putting on some pressure started to make me a little nervous because it's been so reminiscent of uh, the previous games of how the other team was able to apply so much pressure on the ducks i'm like that's got the first goal here um and you know, the Ducks need to get some luck, and they end up getting some there. Delzato rings one off the post by Gibby. But Gibby had to be good this period. He didn't have to make a ton of insane saves or 
or anything, but he had to be solid. I felt like it was a great game by him, a solid first period there, but the duck or the Ducks really didn't get the chances where the Canucks did in this first period. The Ducks ended up getting out of it though, one nothing, twelve to nine. They still have the favorable advantage in shots. But uh, we look at the scoring chances there. Uh, there was ten from the Canucks and two for the Ducks. Yeah, yeah, I, I think they were lucky to get out one nothing and continue to have the lead and and I mean I guess that's something we haven't really seen because there's a lot of times where the Ducks have got caved in in a period and they've come out of it worse for wear or they've had a goal early and then you know they've they've ended up getting tied up and and just going into the second period tied with all the momentum for Vancouver so I think they kind of suffocated that momentum out into going into the second period because they were able to go in with a one nothing lead, which is nice to see. I mean, they didn't play a great period, but they're able to grind it out, get a, a goal early on, and continue into the second with a lead. And I think that's huge because you looked at their record; I think it was like eighteen four and six when leading after the first period. And I know that doesn't necessarily mean much, but it's always good to continue to have the lead after the first twenty minutes. Hey, when you're trying to make a final playoff drive, you'll take any advantage, any statistical um, <laughs> any statistical thing that's going to tell you you have a better chance of winning. Whatever odds are in your favor, you're going to go ahead and run with them. Yeah. Um, starting in the second period here, it was kind of a, a, a weird beginning to it. And then, I mean, just for the sake of the fact that the Ducks just love to give up chances on uh, when they're on the power play, Brandon Sutter ends up getting in behind the Ducks' defense. And Henrique's forced to take a hooking penalty. Gibby still makes a save. So good on Gibby to hold the fort down there. Um, but I guess the scariest thing that happened in this period was Lindholm takes a puck to the face, ends up hitting him in the chin. You got a pretty good gif of that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, it, it looked like it could have been scary just the way it hit him because you didn't know if it hit him in the neck or the chin or like right under in his jaw. Obviously, he left and ended up coming back, which was great, but... Just what the Ducks would need at this point, where Lindholm's actually starting to play a lot better, getting back to what we're used to seeing from him, uh, and just for him to go off and, and end up heading to the locker room because of something like this, it's it's worrying. I mean, the Ducks need everybody right now if they're going to make a push and actually get into a playoff spot. No, and it's and I don't. I mean, it doesn't really matter to say it because I mean, we all know Lindholm comes back in the third there, but I mean, it's so easy to have someone get a cracked jaw, fractured jaw, or something off a shot yeah. like that. Even though the shot was a wrist shot, you never know. You never know what kind of damage he's done. He missed significant time in the second period uh, getting fixed up. Uh, there was a bit of a chance here where I thought maybe Richie was going to have a chance to score. I thought old Richie was going to get on the board here. Montour with a slap pass, as we've been talking about Montour since we started the show and how you know, you know how much he's been involved in the play. Richie, I guess, has just not scored in so long. He decided to make an extra move when he had a wide-open net and Markstrom makes the save. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of trademark of a guy who hasn't scored in a while, and a guy who's not really used to being in those chances. He's overthinking it a bit, trying to go to the backhand, and, and doesn't get a lot of elevation on it. And I mean, at least he's in the position, and it was a great pass by Montu, who continued to have a great game uh, in this one against Vancouver. But I feel like if you've got Raquel in close there, or anybody who's have some bit of confidence right now, that's probably in the back of the net, because that's a, a shoot-first opportunity. But, um, I, I mean, like I said, hey, he's in the, he's at least in those positions. I feel like that line was getting their chances tonight. Obviously didn't get on the board, but I feel like they looked a lot better. The numbers back it up, too. They actually looked like the line we kind of expected to see from them uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's nice to see them kind of turn things around, at least getting some opportunities on net. And, you know, I have to agree with that. And then the other big thing that comes around here, though, is the RPG line makes themselves known again. I know they don't yeah. score in this game. 
But, I mean, they really dominated that second period. I felt like you were seeing Getzloff and Raquel and Perry all over the ice. There was a couple of huge chances for the Ducks to score. Getzloff had a pass. I mean, they love making those tic-tac-toe plays. And it just happened. I think it hit Edler's skate in front, or it was Raquel wide open for a slam dunk in front. Mm-hmm. And then Raquel would come back in on the rush and toe drag around a defender. And Markstrom had to make a really nice save there between the arm and body. Yeah, that was a filthy move by Ricard Raquel. We've seen that from him a lot, not just this season, but pretty much since he's been up with the Ducks. He just can pull these moves out of nowhere, and he just makes guys look silly. I mean, the one that I always refer to is that overtime winner he had against Edmonton. I think it was last year or the year before that where he just walked around a couple guys and and just deked out Talbot and put it into the back of the net. And I felt like he was almost going to do that on this play if he had a little bit more room. But, yeah, I mean, he's a guy right now who's just creating things out of nothing. You have that play, and then you have the play after where he gets a breakaway off a, a nice stretch pass by Perry, but Markstrom makes another save. So they were buzzing. They, you know, the stats don't really show that they, they were playing that well, but in that small stretch there in the second period, I'm surprised they didn't come away with a goal. That play by Perry, that pass, even yeah. the broadcast said it was Getzloff, and I just I <laughs> automatically assumed when I saw that pass that it was Getzloff too. Yeah. And then I rewound him like, holy hell, that was Perry with that ridiculous 150-foot pass over to Raquel to break up behind the defense. So Raquel could have easily gotten on the board here. The Ducks could have easily been up to nothing at that point. They didn't have to wait much longer, though, because of all people in all lines, the Kelly-Chimera-Grant line ends up getting on the board. It was kind of weird the way this play started because Getzloff was finishing his shift and came in and just slammed the defender in the middle of the ice. I didn't see who that defender was, but the defender passed the puck to the half wall, and it was Kelly who knocks down Dowd, feeds it right back to Chimera, who goes top corner on Markstrom, and all of a sudden it's 2 nothing. So it's that leader grit. <laughs> that, That's right. Uh, I, I saw the Bob Mur- that too. <laughs> yeah, the Bob Murray uh, trade deadline acquisitions coming together for a key goal for the Ducks. So that pays for itself right there. I'm sure he was happy to see those guys connect. But I mean, hey, I can't I can't complain. That was a good. It was a good game from Chimera tonight. I mean, he had the uh, primary assist on Montour's goal. Had the the obviously the goal for the, the second goal of the game for the Ducks, and they actually looked pretty good at times. I mean, they got caved in in shot attempts. So I guess the underlying stats. Weren't but that's what you expect from a fourth yes, line, right? I mean, exactly. I mean, yeah. it, you can harp on these guys all you want, but you look at the minutes played. And it's like, like we said last show, they don't, they're not supposed to move the needle to a win. If they chip yeah. in, I mean, that's a hell of a game for them. Yeah. So, I, you, I mean, you're 100% on that. Yeah, and Gordon Bombay in the chat says the the okay is good enough line, Kelly Grand. Absolutely. Chimera, which is, yeah, which is fine. I mean, you know, you've got Kelly getting an assist, Chimera getting two points in this game. You can't complain. If they're contributing offense, then fine, as long as they're not on the opposite end of that and, and just bleeding shot attempts and, and uh, conceding goals against, then I'm fine with it. I mean, if, if they're not noticeable or they're noticeable in a good way, that's more than you expect from them. So I, I'm glad to see him get on the board, glad to see Kelly get an assist in that line, at least chipping in, because nobody else is. I mean, it was a, besides Montu in the fourth line, you know, the, the Henrik line looked a little bit better. The Kessler line looked a little bit better as well, but they still weren't getting any scoring chances. No, you need those middle six to start scoring. I mean, yeah. that's 100% what we've been, you and I have been barking about for two games, or two games plus at this point. Um, but right after that, what I noticed, did you see on the side, I don't want to spend too much longer on this goal, but the, I mean, the Canucks were upset about it. They felt like yeah. there should have been a penalty call. Most, I mean, maybe an interference call on Getzloff. I mean, that would have been really close. But then the cross check from Kelly, which freed the puck up from Dowd. I mean, do you think they had a case there? I just thought it was funny because I, I, you don't really see that too often. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if they had a case. Um, I, I feel like it was kind of borderline, and it would have been a weird one for them to kind of... I don't even know if they can actually go back and review that, because it would have... They can't. Yeah. They can't so, review it, yeah. So, I mean, they can plead their case all they want. They're not going to go back and overturn it, and it would have been very borderline to to call that a penalty. Obviously, at the time, we would have known that would have led to a goal or prevented a goal, and, and I think that's obviously why they're a little bit upset because there was no complaining when the, the the hit was made. It's the fact that there was a goal scored right after it that, okay, they can see that was borderline, so now they're a little bit upset that it ended up turning into a goal uh, and kind of a backbreaker at that point, putting the Ducks up 2 nothing. But, yeah, I don't think there was much behind it. And the only other thing i got to say to top off the second period is we finally saw some speed out of the much uh, talked about speed from that fourth line. Chimera nullified an icing. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, wait, whoa, 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 he beat an icing call out. Yeah. They're, uh... It just made me laugh. I was just like, wait a minute. I had to talk about that for just a second because that was one of the reasons why they traded Wagner. So he said we added yeah. speed to our lineup by adding two almost 40-year-old guys to our lineup. Again, uh, Bob so... Murray's probably got a piece of paper and he's checking things off here. That he had written down at the trade <laughs> deadline, saying, "Oh, there's the speed, there's the leader grit, there's the points on the board." Okay, this, you know, we're all set. This looks good. Ducks get out of that second period two nothing. They actually, I shouldn't even say get out because they played a really dominant period. Finally, uh, we've been waiting for that kind of play against uh, against another opponent, and it it should be against this opponent. This opponent is a, not a good team. The Canucks are in the bottom of the standings there. So good period from the Ducks. Coming into the third period here. Ducks get Lindholm back. I think the first time I noticed him is he was on the bench with a huge ice pack on his chin. But, yeah. uh, hey, man, we got to get him back in the lineup, so that was good to see. Um, and then right away, the Canucks, obviously, score effects into play here. Are gonna, you know, you would think they would start carrying the play to try to get back in the game. Lots of shots, a lot of point shots on Gibby in the beginning. Gibby makes some uh, some really strong saves. Um, Fowler comes in here, Henriken here. But this game kind of goes on throughout the third period without a lot of uh you know prime scoring chances per se until we get to the point where the ducks you know game's winding down and um <laughs> Lindholm does one of his things that uh, my buddy jay always talks about where he's like the classic who me how the hell did i get a penalty <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> with, a, with a clear cross check on the canucks and he gets put in the box but then just a few minutes later markstrom with one of the dumbest plays i've seen by a goaltender in a while I mean, this isn't like a, a violent game. There was, yeah. There's not a lot of bad blood. I mean, they're, they're big, tough guy. The Branson's out, so you weren't going to see him fight anybody. And for whatever reason, Markstrom thought it would be a great idea to step in front of Silverberg and take an interference penalty. How often have you seen that? Was that odd? Yeah, I, I feel like it was odd. I mean, on the broadcast, they said, I think they were, it's like, I don't, I don't think it was they were on the same team, but they're from the same city in Sweden, so maybe he was just checking in. Uh, and his country made, and just seeing how he's doing. But yeah, I mean that's the trend of this late third period, just dumb penalties. I mean, Lindholm takes the cross check, got Markstrom taking that dumb penalty on Silverberg. You got Sedin flipping the puck over the glass, and you've got Edler with a dumb hit late on Perry to pretty much seal the deal for the Ducks. I don't know what it was. I mean, Vancouver kind of handed this game over to the Ducks in the end here with those two dumb penalties. I mean, that nullified that Markstrom penalty nullified a power play for Vancouver. And then you've got the two dumb penalties in the end that kind of just let the Ducks coast to the finish line. Yeah, and it was Edler with that dumb hit on Perry. It was it was a late hit, and uh, the referees called it, and that ends up giving the Ducks another power play chance, which they would actually convert on. Brandon Montour on a hell of a pass, heads-up play by Nick Ritchie. 
Um, I mean, I, it's, it's rare you say that. I'm surprised he didn't try to sh- you know shove that puck through Markstrom. He actually picked yeah. his head up and saw Montour on the side of that. He buried it. 3 nothing Anaheim at that point. Yeah, and again, like I had mentioned earlier on Montour's first goal, just a great play and, and a great kind of awareness for him to get into that position where you don't really expect him to be on that far post and be able to bang it in. And again, like you said too as well, with Richie being able to actually make that pass, most of the time you see him just kind of slam that through the goalie or try and, try and just get it in there anyway. And for him to actually take the time, look up, and find Montour was great because, I mean, the Ducks have had trouble sealing the deal lately in games. They miss a couple empty netters in this one. Vancouver came close in a couple plays. Obviously, that Edler's hit leads uh, to a, just a way they can coast to the finish line. But it's nice. I, I like that Montour's got two goals in this game. Hopefully, that can boost his confidence, especially one coming on the power play. I don't want to say it's going to turn things around for the Ducks' power play because it was late in the game. I think Vancouver had pretty much given up. But hopefully, it kind of bodes well for things to come. No, you need to. You really need whatever you can get to grab confidence back in this team after being hounded and just run by the St. Louis Blues mm-hmm. after coming off you know, two straight losses prior to that. They need to get back into this. They're playing a Detroit team on Friday who they should also beat, but, I mean, they turned up a dud last game. So, I mean, whatever, the last time they played anyway, the last time the Ducks were it was in Detroit. So whatever they can grab from this Canucks game and bring it into the next one and learn from it and come out and dominate, they need to do. Ducks take the game 3 nothing. Shots were 11-11 in that period. Finished off the ninth, 38-32, which, as I said, in the pregame puts Gibby up to that 9-2-5%. He's my dark horse for the Vesna, even though he's not going to get mentioned because he, like um, somebody who plays in Canada, in Winnipeg, Connor Hellebuck, <laughs> is also American. Your American what, goalie what a, conspiracy theory that everybody hates American goalies. They do. <laughs> it's just the way it is. The only reason why you're going to give it to Rene is because he's got the numbers. Yeah. If he was American and then uh, you know, Price <laughs> was close, they'd give it to Price. you got to yeah. give it to Price. <laughs> I, fair enough. But uh, <laughs> Rene's not American, so we'll we'll shoulder that one for now. Because, I, I mean, I, it's got to have something to do, I, I guess, because I, I feel like Winnipeg fans are going to get mad at me saying it's a small market, but it kind of is. And obviously Anaheim's a small market. Nashville's not a big one, but Rene has the numbers, and Nashville is kind of that bandwagon team right now because they're playing well. And to be honest, I haven't heard a lot of mention of Vasilevsky lately because his plays kind of trailed off. I think the reason he's still in the discussion is because a lot of people had rated him as the favorite at midseason, and you know they haven't really checked in on him, and they just kind of assume that he's still playing great for, for Tampa Bay, which he still is. He had a couple bad games. Last game was really bad for him, but... Yeah, Gibby and Hellebuck for sure get get the shaft a bit. Well, no, I mean that's true. But I mean, yeah. if you're talking about Vasilevsky, I mean, look at that decor in front of him now with Addy McDonough. It's kind of yeah. like, dude, you should win games. Well, like, that's just the way it is. By Ottawa, <laughs> he led in six goals against against the Senators. That's that's not a good night. No, it's definitely not against Ottawa, <laughs> especially not this point of the season. It's like they yeah. should be falling trying to get Dolan too. You should take advantage. All right, Eddie, let's get to our post game here, man. We got to talk a little bit about the secondary scoring line. I know we did a little bit, but it was rare to get something from the fourth line and defense with the power play. How did you feel overall? I know you mentioned a little bit, but what was your take on that middle six, you know, the Kessler line and the Henrique line? Uh, Do you feel like they're slowly starting to come around, or is it just the same old, same old here? 
I, you know, I felt like they looked better, and like I said, the, the shot attempts numbers kind of paint that same type of picture as well. I mean, they were on the right side of scoring chances and shots for both the Henrik, Richie, Kasha, and Kessler, Cogliano, Silverberg lines, but they still weren't generating a lot of offense. I mean, Henrik and uh, Richie and I believe Kasha were all on the ice for that power play goal, the last one, I believe, and um, I, I still want to see more. But it looks like, at least from this one game, and it is a very small sample size, that they're starting to get some more chances. But it's against a, a severely depleted Vancouver Canucks team who doesn't have a lot of threats anyway. So I'll take it with a grain of salt right now. I'll hope that going into the game against Detroit that they can continue to start playing better because the Ducks are going to need it. I mean, they were able to get a win tonight with the first line not playing that well. And you finally had some other guys getting on the scoreboard. You had Montour obviously scoring twice. Richie with a with an assist. You had the fourth line chipping in. So it's good a good start. But until I see it consistently against Detroit, against New Jersey, over the next three or four games, then I'm, I'm still going to be a little bit skeptical. No, I have to agree with you on that. I mean, you got to hand it though to I mean to Richie. Yeah. Played ten minutes, forty six seconds, all situations on the night and. I mean, he more than his line more than dominated when he was out there. I mean, seventeen chances, four to, to six against, at least in the Corsi side of things. Uh, he had a great game, and then shout out to my boy Lindholm up in the seventy-seven percent range there. Does my yeah, little analytics. Nice to uh, see him back. Step, shout out, leading right. So <laughs> that's where he should be. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I'm with you on that, though. There's there's some work to be done, but whatever confidence the, the guys can take from this and move into that Detroit game on Friday is huge. Yeah. And I hopefully they can just can you know just can just build on whatever successes they've built here. Yeah, for sure, and they're going to need it because I mean this isn't like a banner win by any means against Vancouver, who's out of the playoffs and dealing with some injury troubles. I know we've mentioned that multiple times already, their injuries, but you got to kind of bring it up and, and take the win into perspective. I mean, they just played three strong Central Division teams and kind of got outplayed and, and dummied in all of them. So it's going to be a lot of work for them to get back higher in the standings and just playing pretty well against the Vancouver team uh, isn't something to really boast about until they really go into these games against Detroit and New Jersey and play well. No, it's true. Let's move on to the captain. We got to talk about him for a second. Um, I don't feel like we have the past couple of games, but how good has this season been for him? I mean, I know he didn't get on the board tonight, but he's well over a point a game. He's missed a significant amount of time with injury. But uh, as Dmitry Filipovich from Sportsnet said, he's having a sneaky good season. He's just been a beast, just a yeah. beast. He's The Ducks have scored 125 goals as a team in the 45 games prior to tonight that Ryan Getzloff has played in the season. That means he's getting a point on over 40% of them, 51 Jeez. of 125 and either scoring or directly setting up over 30% of them, 38 of 125. That's incredible. If he had played this full season, there's without a doubt in my mind that he's up for a heart or in that in that strong consideration category, and who knows how many points he would have based on his points per game. You're talking in the 90 range. He's had yeah. a hell of a year. He has to be, and now I kind of feel bad that we uh, – I mean, we mentioned him, but we kind of had him behind Raquel and, and Gibson in our heart ratings on the last show, so – these, I mean, these numbers, they don't lie. I mean, he's been unbelievable, and, and you can see that as of late, just the play, just the way he's played. Uh, doesn't pick up a, he doesn't pick up a point in this one, does he? I don't think so. 
have to go check the score sheet. I'll, you can okay. go ahead and, and yeah. keep going. I'll check right now. I, I don't. It, I don't think he picked up a point in this one, so I think that that ends his point streak. But it doesn't matter. He played a, a pretty strong game at times as well, and he's just been the Ducks' best player over the last fifteen to twenty games. And like you said, you brought up those numbers. He's getting a point on over forty percent of their chances, and on either scoring or directly setting up over thirty percent of them since he's been in the lineup. Like. That is dominant, and that's controlling your team's offense. And that's what we talked about on the last show on guys who should could, should be considered for the hardest guys who contribute to a higher percentage of their team offense individually. And we had mentioned guys like Taylor Hall and Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon. And I think if Getzlaff plays a full season where he's completely healthy and is playing at that level, he has to be in the top five in that discussion. Raquel, Perry, and Getzlaff, no points tonight. Yeah. So I mean, it's good and, and bad, you know, right? Yeah. It, the, the the good part of it is Kasha and Richie with points, so yeah. that's also good. <laughs> we'll yeah, take those time. Yeah, good because other guys are stepping up and and contributing to the scoring, which is what we were looking for. No, hundred percent. So, I mean, do you think that this it, it can drive them into the playoffs? Gets off alone. Do you think that's they can rely on him at this level? Mm, uh, not with only 11 games remaining. I, I feel like I, we've kind of seen that, right? I mean, they played very well against Nashville, Dallas, and St. Louis, and the Ducks lost because they didn't have anything else going for them. I asked that because I had seen that online. People are saying, you know, Getzloff can carry this team, and I'm like, you forget who's in net, and there's so much hate and wrongfully directed hate at John Gibson over Ducks you know, message boards, especially on Facebook, people talking about him. It's like, they just don't realize how good he is this year. Um, or even last year, he played really well too. So, but this this team needs a collective effort. They need that middle six to be scoring. So let's hop off the topic of Getzloff. Um, you had an interesting tweet. Was it Sean Tierney's tweet talking about yes, yeah. uh, about the, the average scoring for uh, per position? Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna pull it up here. He had like a whole thread today where he had kind of cracked down on on what the average score in all situations over like for the entire National Hockey League over a certain time period he didn't mention it but uh, so at center the average player is at about 35 points he gave an example and that would be Cal Yarncruck uh, left wing and right wing were uh, averaging about 24 points so that's like Carl Hagelin and a Connor Brown type player and defense was 18 points which you put in here was like Cody Cece or Dan Hamhuse and uh, then he goes completely in depth as well looking at just a total of what a, a line one, line two, line three, and line four player look like at each position based off points. Uh, and you've got centers. You're looking at a first line guys about 66 points. So it's like a Sagan. Second line is about 47, like a Zuccarello. 37 and 19 for the third and fourth. Left wing and right wing are about the same, about 45 to 50 points for line one, 20 to 25 for a line two, 10 to 15 for a line three, and, and then pretty low about one to five for a line four player. And, and I thought that was very interesting. I wanted to see how the Ducks players kind of line up with that. See, we wanted, we were talking about a lot about how this is the top nine that they're stuck with uh, for at least this season and next season based on, you know, guys can't really crack the lineup and move those guys down. So I wanted to see how the Ducks players kind of lined up to that and analyze them based off of what he came up with. Because I thought it would be an interesting kind of study to, to look at. So if you look at the Ducks' leading scorer, Ricard Raquel, 30 goals, 29 assists, in 66 games, he's got 59 points. That puts him just below that uh, 
with right now. Yeah, but I think this was over an 82-game stretch as well. Okay. So, so he he's definitely going to be up there yeah. in that range. Yeah. And probably same with Getzloff, right? Yeah. He's going to be above average at this point. I mean, he could be. Be, ah, that's close. Yeah, if he were to average over a full on, he season, would he would be. Yeah. yeah, he definitely would be. And, you know, Perry's almost there too, to be honest with you, at 42 yeah. points. Um, how did you feel about the middle? If you look at the middle six there, look at Andre Kasha, 32 points, Silverbrook, 31 down to Henrique with 27. What was your feeling on that? You feel like they kind of fit in here, or is this something you could see? I know we're not we're making comparisons, but and you know every game's different, every team's different. But looking at direct comparisons to what the points are putting them on average, was there any glaring players you saw here? You kind of like, oh, okay, maybe not. Yeah, I, I mean, just kind of looking, I'll, I'll break down their top six pretty quick. But you, you already mentioned Raquel, and he's definitely that line one guy. I mean, he's playing left wing right now. And they had their their left wing one uh, as an average of about forty seven points, where he's already got over that, uh, and he's almost at the the top line center for points. So he's definitely and a, a line one guy. Gets laughed, like you said, if he was over a full season, he would be a line one guy. Perry right now forty two points. They consider a line one guy to be forty nine points. Probably will hit that. And again, Perry's only played fifty nine games this year. He's had some injury problems as well. So, I mean, we, we've been hard on Perry all season, uh, and based off the average right winger in the National Hockey League, he's considered a, a first-line winger, which is, I mean, I think it's surprising to hear that from most. Um, then you look at, you kind of get down to the next tier of guys. you got Silverberg, who's scoring at 31. That puts him right between line one and line two. You've got Kasha as well, 31 points. That puts him again right between line one line two. Uh, you've got Henrique at center with 41 points. That puts him between the line two, line three center, which I think is where we kind of expect him to be. And then just to finish it off with Cogliano and Richie, Richie's got 22 points. That puts him pretty much around a line three center, uh, left wing. And the same goes for Cogliano, who's got 26. That puts him at about a borderline second line left winger. So I think... The Ducks' top nine definitely looks like it's better than average. I don't think it's the best in the National Hockey League, but that's something we've kind of boasted for a while, and now with the offense going a little bit anemic, it hasn't looked like it. But if everybody can get hot and get going, uh, I think this is a very, very difficult team to match up against. No, I agree with you, man. And it's it's nice to see that they're actually slotting in in those spots. I think the one part that uh, I looked at I was a little disappointed in the Ducks don't really have that D1 in points. Yeah. Look down at his tweet. It's kind of like that 40-point range, Riley, Hamilton, Latang. Ducks have guys in between there, though. Keith, Edler, right? I mean, that's a 26-point range. And these are just averages yeah. over the And those are offensive numbers as well. So, right. you know, it doesn't really take into the defensive consideration. And where Lindholm's more of a defensive guy who could still put up about 30 points. Uh, Fowler, again, is not going to light the world on fire. Manson definitely isn't, but I think his point total this season has surprised a lot of people. So it's not bad to have a bunch of D2 guys, and I think if you throw in Lindholm's defensive ability, that probably puts him in that D1 category. But that's definitely something they're missing. I think it's what a lot of people expected Montour to be or eventually be, is that consistent offensive threat who can get over 40 points. I don't know if he'll ever hit that. But that's really what this Ducks blue line is missing, is that kind of go-to point guy. So that kind of segues into our uh, our last bit of information that we're going to talk about when it comes to the, um, the Ducks system. 
is is it a system issue that we asked before? Is this a Randy Carlisle issue when you're talking about the Ducks defenseman you're about there and inability to put up these these points? We brought up um, some topics about what uh, coaches could be in the, the running if if for somehow Randy Carlisle becomes on the hot seat. You know, we said last post game, there's no way that yeah. that's going to happen. Like, this, especially if this team makes the playoffs, there's no way that Bob Murray's going to let a guy go who's able to, you know, go through this season with all the injuries on his team. But we brought up some guys. You put together a short list here of um, some possibilities. And if it's a system issue, which we've seen all over Twitter, I've seen a lot of people talk about Carlisle being outcoached, especially in that last game where he had Kevin BX out with the pole, um, with the pole goaltender, six on five. He had some power play. He had some minutes with, with Perry Getzloff and Raquel. Um, are those glaring issues to you? Or is that just him having to utilize another defenseman that he has on his bench? I feel like it's him utilizing another defenseman he has on his bench, but it doesn't mask any glaring issues they have. Uh, we have a discussion coming up about Carlisle and his possible replacements, and, and I think that kind of goes into that as well. And I think a lot of people are just kind of fed up with some of the, the decisions that Carlisle makes. I mean, today, for the longest time, we thought it was going to be BX and Boschman together. And it was kind of back and forth, back and forth until the final, I guess, what, final five minutes before the game when the, the lineup sheet was was tweeted out by Eric Stevens that Patterson was indeed in the game. It, it's kind of interesting. I, I feel like he is just kind of utilizing that last guy, but uh, there definitely are some glaring issues. I feel like the best teams in the league have that top four, yeah, and they run that top four majority of the game, as many minutes. I mean, Fowler played a ridiculous 27 minutes tonight, and you can't ask that of your entire lineup. But you can mitigate the minutes that your third pair sees and what situations they're deployed in. Yeah, And we've seen some pretty crappy deployments from Carlisle, especially over this recent stretch. Yeah. So that begs the question then. I mean, why not follow the model that's been successful where you play those guys six minutes a night in your third pair and you run your guys, your top four, the most? And, I mean, these guys are young defensemen that are good on this team. you got Manson, Montour, Fowler, Lindholm. There's no reason they can't play upwards of 22 minutes a night to cover those other shifts. Do you feel like it might be time for a change? With that, with those lineup decisions and those deployment decisions, and does it necessarily fall on, all on Carlisle? I know that he makes the top decisions, but I mean Trent Yanni's there as well. Yeah, I, I think I mean something we had brought up before, and I know it's a, it's different comparing regular season to playoffs, but we talked about um, Chicago and uh, their utilization of their defense in the playoffs. How they literally just played with a top four, and I think it was like. Uh, it was teaming in and Roosevelt and then those guys that they played like 10, 10, maybe nine minutes a night. And I think the ducks are almost at that point where they pretty much have to do that. I mean, at five on five today, uh, Boschman and Patterson played just over 11 minutes. So it's not like they're getting utilized a lot, but when you've got two pairs just clicking, you've got the Manson Lindholm pair going insane. You've got the Fowler Monto pair that's continuing to play well uh, I think you got to just play these guys as much as you can. And like you said, they're young guys. They can handle it. They've shown they can all play 22, 23 minutes a night. I know it's a risk to kind of tire these guys out going into the playoffs, but 
Yeah, I mean, for Lindholm, I think the interesting thing tonight is he only played 11.57, 5 on 5, 16 minutes in all situations. Felt like, well, I know, I, yeah, I know he, he got hurt and he was gone for a bit, but I, I feel like those should even be a little bit higher just based on the fact that he, even though he was hurt, I feel like, you know, he he should be a guy that he should be utilized a little bit more. Manson obviously picked up the lion's share of those minutes and ended up playing 19, 5 on 5 on the night. But, yeah, it, it, it has to be something that you look at for it to really be Carlisle's fault. I think he has to use these guys more often, especially when the the confidence really isn't there for this bottom pairing. And we're seeing a makeshift bottom pairing pretty much every game. It's either going to be Patterson or BX. It's going to be Boschman or BX. It's going to be Patterson or Boschman. And when you don't have that consistency, consistency down there, it's hard to get anything going in the right direction. And when you've got these two other pairings above them playing so well, I mean, you might as well play them as much as you can. And if you're going to play that third pair 12 to 14 minutes, I mean, you better utilize them correctly with deploying yeah. them yeah. Um, in, in situations that they can benefit from, right? You don't want them out against, um, I guess, someone's top line. I know there was comments made about Boschman and BX being out there against the Tarasenko line against St. Louis, and you're like, wait a minute, why? Why would you yeah. do that? Why would you have them <laughs> out there like that? Makes no sense. Um, the same could go for any situation here with Boschman and Pedersen. You don't want to have them out there against, you know, Bo Horvat or the Sedins. You want to kind of shelter these guys and give them the easier minutes. And I think that's what people are talking about when it comes to Carlisle being out coached. So if he were to be on the hot seat, as you mentioned last show, which we don't think he's going to be, if these issues happen, the Ducks miss the playoffs and somehow, some way he becomes, um, in this in the spotlight where he's going to have his job taken away from him, who are the guys you feel would be best suited or most looked at to replace him? Yeah, and I think the first one is kind of the most obvious. Uh, at least it, it kind of comes from in house, and that'd be Dallas Deacons down with the goals. I think he's done a good job with what he's done. Obviously, has a, a little bit more familiarity with the Ducks players and the prospects coming up. So I think that's kind of the go to option for them. I don't know if it's the best one. But I think it's definitely the safest one, and we've seen the Ducks before. Obviously, going back to Randy Carlisle was a safe option for them. They knew what they were going to get from him. They've obviously been in constant contact with him, so it was kind of the safer option over other guys like Travis Green, who was in the discussion to go to Anaheim. So uh, if they're going to stick to that trend, I feel like he's the guy. I, I kind of want to know your opinion on Dallas Deacons because I haven't seen a lot of what he's done with, with San Diego. Obviously, I can just look at their record and their play as of late. But I'm interested to see your opinion on, on his option because he's been in the NHL before with Edmonton. And he didn't have a good run in Edmonton. No. Um, I feel like, but I don't know if that was all his fault. I mean, you look at that, the way that team's managed now, and you kind of laugh at the fact that they've wasted the years of Connor McDavid's entry-level contract and now they got to yeah. pay him big bucks next year <laughs> and they're going to miss the playoffs. So whatever you want to say about what Dallas Aikens there or did there, um, you kind of have to put that in perspective as to what the upper management did for him or didn't do for him. Uh, but when you're te- when you're talking about uh, what he's done with the goals, they've been a good team since they've been uh, back in Southern California, and that the program the Ducks have in the AHL to bring players up and have them NHL ready, um, the players love him. Uh, he's a player's coach, and he does really well in the AHL, and that's a tough gig. I mean, the AHL you have you're cycling players in and out all the time, right? I mean, they're going up to the NHL, back yeah. down to the AHL. It's it's not like you get your best guys night in, night out. I mean, Nick Ritchie spent time there. Obviously, Montour spent time there. Uh, you go up and down this lineup, you find guys that have played for Dallas Eakins. 
And I feel like eventually he would be the, the main option unless you have a big name pop up around the NHL who gets fired. And then it's like an instant situation where, um, like what happened when uh, when Boston uh, fired Claude Julien and then uh, yeah. and then Montreal picked him right up. Like, oh, got to get him. Got to get him. Oh, he's French-Canadian and he's a good coach. Let's pick him up. Um, unless there's a situation like that, I think Dallas Eakins is probably the top of the list to come up to Anaheim. Because, I mean, they were even looking at a guy like Travis Green before he went to Vancouver. Yeah, he was in the running for the job in Anaheim as well, and he's also listed as a you know a really good player coach and somebody who's really good with the young team, and that's what the Ducks are. I think they're going to need somebody here for that second wave of talent coming up that is going to be good with those players. So, I mean, I would put my money on Eakins if I had to pick, unless yeah. there was a big name guy floating around. Well, funny, funny you mentioned that because Pierre LeBrun brought up the idea that Barry Trotz might not be back in Washington based off of how they do in the playoffs this year, which I thought was very interesting because he's widely considered one of the top five, top ten coaches in the National Hockey League. That's a guy right there that if he hits market, the Ducks aren't going to be the only team interested in him, and there's going to be a lot of teams who are looking to move out who they have behind the bench right now for Barry Trotz. That's interesting. Um, it's not a name I expected to pop up, but I feel like they should have fired him last season. I I really don't understand why they would fire him this year. They didn't really add to that lineup in Washington to make this team much more potent than they were last year. So to put that kind of blame on him is interesting. I mean, maybe just a change in the room. Um, you know, we'll just do a different voice. I mean, he didn't, he hasn't won anything yet as a coach, as far as I know, in the NHL level. Right. I mean, national and, and, and Washington. Yeah. Um, how do you feel he would fit in in Anaheim? Do you feel like that would be a solid move by the Ducks if they end up giving Carlisle the axe? Uh, I mean, I think it's definitely a better option. Uh, I mean, you know, we have a couple other guys listed, and I think they're all better options at this point. And, and I don't want to be too harsh on Carlisle and what he's been able to do. But, I mean, you just look at the success Barry Trotz has had and obviously hasn't gone the whole way. And, and I mean, I guess that's kind of what... The issue we had with Bruce Boudreau, was it not? I mean, we talked about how he was a great regular season coach, coached some great teams, but just wasn't able to get over the hump and get past the, the second round or into the Stanley Cup Finals and, and win the whole thing. And I guess that's kind of the same thing with Barry Trotz. But I would love to see him and what he could do with, with the Ducks. But it almost doesn't seem like that's the way they're going to go. I, I mean, why... You know, this year and next year, their last shots. I think if you're going to bring in anybody, in my opinion, I would bring in a younger guy, a guy from the AHL, a guy who can build up with this team. They might have to go through some hard times. I feel like that's the best direction. But Dallas Aikens and, and Barry Trotz just seem like the go-to options for Bob Murray, just like the, the typical Bob Murray moves where he'll bring in a guy who's been around the league or he's bringing up a guy that he knows in his own system. Made me laugh um, when Randy Carlo came back, and some people were upset, but then some Ducks fans were excited. Oh, you won a cup with the Ducks, and hey, we're going to bring the Stanley Cup back here in 2017 for the 10 year anniversary of the Stanley Cup. And I was like, Do you remember who was on that team? Do you remember, like, uh, you know, peak Tamu Solani? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> two guys who were unknown in the league, like Chris Pronger and Scott Niedermeyer on that team. Yeah. Um, and Jagger playing lights out. It's like, do you not remember who was on that team? I don't really feel like <laughs> like it was Carlisle. I feel like I could have coached that team in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to be too disrespectful to Carlisle there, but I mean, that just speaks to the talent that was on the ice. I mean, 
three Hall of Famers right there that uh, were on the Ducks at that point in their career. I mean, you can't really give that to Carlisle. But I would go with what you said. I feel like a younger guy, once the upper echelon of this team, uh, age-wise, is starting to really regress and they really need to rely on the younger guys coming up, you're really going to need that guy coming up uh, who's had a lot of experience. And I feel like Dallas Eakin is going to be that guy. He already knows all the guys coming up from uh, from the AHL and he works well with them. So why not give him a crack in Anaheim? Yeah, and kind of dwelling uh, still in the AHL with some of the top coaches down there, I think there's two guys that have kind of been rumored around um, moving out of the positions that they're in just because the coach is in front of them. And I think that that starts with Sheldon Keefe with the Marlies. I mean, there's no chance of him taking Babcock's role in Toronto. And eventually he's a guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And eventually he's a guy that's going to be moving out and moving up into the NHL, whether it be a head coaching job or an assistant coach job. But I think most people believe it'll be a head coaching job. And he's done a great job with the Marlies, and he's seen a lot of good young players down in the Marlies that have come up to Toronto. I mean, he's seen Connor Brown, he's seen Zach Hyman, Kapanen, William Nylander, Travis Dermott, Connor Carrick. I mean, he's developed a lot of young players. Obviously, those are talented players as well, but he's helped tailor them and and really develop their play to come up and play well with the Leafs. And, and I think he's one of those younger guys, one of those up-and-coming head coaches that I think you can kind of plug in this team. They, they've got you know one or two more seasons to, to really compete for the Cup where they're going to have to start doing a rebuild or a retool. And I think that's the perfect time to bring in a young coach to kind of rebuild this team's philosophy around. I think he's definitely an option. And then you also look at Jay Leach, who's in the AHL with Providence what he's been able to do in the Boston Bruins system, and I don't think he comes up and replaces Boston coach anytime soon with the success they're having. So these are two guys who are almost at the point where they can get in the AHL and are looking for head coaching jobs, and, and definitely two guys the Ducks should be looking for if they're going to replace Carlisle. And that's all hypothetical, everybody. Don't yes. be too excited, right? I mean, you and I have talked about that before, as we've said a couple of times already, but just exploring uh, to see who would be the fit. And it's just interesting to, to for me to look at, and you to you know you brought up some guys I've never heard of, so I appreciate you diving in on that because I know you're you're more keyed in on the prospects and and the AHL guys coming up and, and who's in, who's important around there coaching wise because especially because you're in the hockey capital of the world, um, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did a lot of digging. Let's get today. onto some. <laughs> let's get onto some questions here. We got anybody in ch- in the chat who wants to pop one over to us? We got someone on Twitter. Yeah, we got some on Twitter, but I'll start, like always, in the chat because these guys have been here the whole time. So going back to the very beginning of the chat, right after the intro, we had a couple questions. Uh, Jacob was uh, asked, was stating and then asking. He said, good good win, but pretty well a Gibby win, which I think we both agree with. Glad to see Petter, Pedersen back. And he said, curious your thoughts on this. What's the possibility of rolling four young defensemen on the bottom 2D next season? And this is something we talked about last show, how the Ducks, I wanted to see at least Pedersen, Larson maybe pairing or bringing up Jacob Magna and Andy Walensky and kind of rolling those guys. I think that's the best option for the Ducks next season. I'm interested to see what you think on that. Absolutely. Uh, There's enough leadership and grit on this team um, and every other position. I don't feel like you need another guy back on D to teach these guys how to play hockey. They I mean, Cam Fowler's a veteran guy. He's a young guy, but he's been on this team for a long time. Josh Mance is coming into his own. Hampus Lindholm is the same. I feel like they can be around as a veteran defenseman. Um, and you know they're going to you know, 
veteran leadership doesn't matter what position that it is. And yeah. I feel like I, there's always guys on the team who've been there, done that. And I think the Ducks would, it would do them really well to bring up some guys and showcase them, if not for a trade, just to you know clean up that bottom third pairing and put out something you know consistent on the ice. Yeah, and it's it's never a bad thing to have four young mobile guys than to roll out Boshim and BX on a consistent basis. Uh, I think the impact's going to be, uh, at worst, it's going to be the same. Uh, at least there's a possibility for some upside of having two young guys come together and end up playing well and, and, and putting together a pretty good bottom pairing. And, and again, like they're only going to play 12 to maybe a max of 15 minutes a night. So it's not like they're going to be hurting you that much if you utilize them correctly, which is something we also mentioned earlier on. So I, I think that's the best option for them. Unfortunately, we also talked about last show how we think they're going to bring back Bieksa probably on a one-year, $1 million deal. Obviously not confirmed, but that just feels like what the team wants to do. Obviously, they like what Bieksa brings. He hasn't really mentioned anything other anything around retirement like Boschman has. So I feel like if he comes back, that kind of crushes our dreams of having a four young defensemen rolling on that bottom pairing. Such a Carlisle, such a Bob Murray move. Yes. I mean, you got to have that leadership guy in the end there. Yeah. Uh, okay, so next kind of – I guess not a question again, but it is a statement, and I think it, it's relevant based on what's coming up. Uh, Gordon Bombay saying we have an easy schedule, but that's scary when we play down to our competition. And I, I tend to agree with him. I mean, the Ducks have not played well – against some of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. And I, I just kind of go and refer to the last time they played Detroit, where it was a very boring game. The offense was non-existent in that game, and they didn't get anything going and ultimately lost in regulation. And I think it's relevant when you look at who their next opponent is in Detroit, and you got to try and avoid doing that again. I mean, Detroit's a team you should be beating. They should have beat them last time they played them, and you've got to avoid playing down to their competition. That was the BX giveaway game, the yeah. highlight. Oh, yeah, to Larkin. Larkin. To Larkin. That was that horrible, horrible game. I don't even think the Ducks hit 20 shots in that game. It was was really bad. So So looking at that schedule real quick, and I know we'll get to it before we wrap because we'll talk about Detroit in the the next couple of games, I guess. But they got Detroit on Friday, New Jersey on Sunday, and then they're off for two days. Then they go on a mini road trip for four games. Calgary on Wednesday, Winnipeg on Friday. Sunday is Edmonton. Following Tuesday is Vancouver, and then to wrap up the month, they come home and play LA. To me, there's three difficult games there. I feel like five of those are extremely winnable. Yeah, or four of those, excuse me, are extremely winnable. And then New Jersey is going to be a tough go. They just spanked the Golden Knights tonight, eight to three, and New Jersey's in a battle to uh, you know keep in that playoff rush. In the East Coast, Calgary is going to be tight as well, but I think the Ducks can come away there. It should be an easier game. Winnipeg's tough. Edmonton should be easy. Vancouver again should be easy. And then you have LA as should be tough. There's no reason the Ducks can't come out of this month with five or six wins in the remaining seven games on this uh, on the month. But uh, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's right about where they should be? Or do you feel just based on recent play, it's going to be a lot tougher than we think? Uh, I, I feel like they are easier games, but based on recent play, I, I'm a little bit more worried than I should be. Uh, and I feel like those that game, especially against Calgary and LA, are the big two with the way the playoffs are lining up and the race is, is kind of going right now. I think with the Ducks winning tonight, that pulls them in a tie with LA on points, but LA has that game in hand. Obviously, San Jose picking up both points in a win against Edmonton. Any points you can pick 
up against Pacific Division teams are extremely important. And the Ducks have five of their remaining 11 games against Pacific Division teams. Only two of them are in the in the race in Calgary and L.A., but those are still big games. The games against any Pacific Division team are always tight. They're always rivalry games. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, normally I think we'd look at the schedule and say, oh, okay, the Ducks have some easy games. They're going to win these ones. And now you got to look to the four ones that are going to be tough. But with the way they've played some of these lower-down teams as of late, I think it's a lot more worrying than it should be. No, I agree with you there for that, for sure. Uh, so we have the next question of Chase. And, uh, again, we talked about the prospects a little bit on the last show, but he's bringing it up. He says, is it realistic to think that Steele Jones, Comtois, and Morand should be up with the Ducks in two to three seasons? Um, I think a couple of the guys, for sure. Yeah. I felt like um, I know Jones is a little young, but I don't see why he can't push to make camp um, in a couple of seasons. I think Steele will probably be closer coming in next season. Mm-hmm. But uh, this this top nine solid, but, I mean, they haven't been producing as of late, so we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But those are the two guys I feel like that are closest to the NHL. Yeah, and, and I think the key word here is two to three seasons. I think that's the realistic outlook for this because that top nine is set for next year and probably the year after that. Um, with Steele and Jones, I think those are the two interesting ones, like you mentioned, because they are actually not junior eligible next year. They'll be up with the goals, or they'll be in Anaheim if they play well enough to stick up there. So I think those are definitely the two closest guys, and, and for them, depending on how this lineup shakes out in two seasons, those are the two closest guys to getting up here rather in two seasons rather than three. For Comtois Moran, I think uh, Comtois is definitely closer just with the way he's been playing this season. But I still think, it, again, that one's probably about three seasons out. And for Antoine Moran, I, I think that's a three or four season one because I don't think he's completely established if he's going to be a center or a winger uh, in the NHL. He's been a center as long as I've seen him play uh, in, in junior. But he's one of those smaller guys where when they end up getting to the National Hockey League, he's definitely not going to be a guy who starts at center. More kind of like Raquel in that sense, where he was a, a center coming out of junior, and now he's kind of shifted to the wing. I feel like that's what Antoine Moran's going to eventually do. But Steele and Jones are definitely the two guys to keep a look on. I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to definitely catch a lot more goals games next year with those two being up there. No, absolutely. And there's a good chance if this Kasha Richie Henrique line doesn't start producing again, that they're going to get strong looks in camp. And you know, who knows how that goes with the RFA contract negotiations this summer too with those same two guys. Yeah. So there could be two spots open, but if they're signed and they play well, I don't see how those that top nine moves. But I agree with you there. Jones and Steele. So <laughs> Gordon Bombay in the chat again saying Chimera gets slapped and move Pedersen to the wing and call it the receding hair line. <laughs> <laughs> I take offense to that. My hair's my hairline's receding too. <laughs> that would be great. I, I mean we, we need we have the RPG line, why not have the receding hairline? That would be great. Um I could go with that. <laughs> Let's see. I'm, I'm scrolling through the chat real quick here, so bear with me. Um, going by Bay, in referring to our, our coaching discussion, saying not the coach we need, but the coach we deserve, uh, in Gordon Bombay himself. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, here's an interesting one from Richard. He said, I think Carlisle is secretly trying to kill Fowler. He had over 27 minutes tonight. And, uh, I mean, he's consistently been doing that. Not, uh, not sorry, not consistently in Carlisle trying to kill him but in Fowler being the minute muncher for the Ducks he's really been that guy all season I think when we 
this is dating back now to, to the, I think, the first show, which I guess isn't that old. It's only about two weeks ago, but how we talked about Montour's minutes shooting up and getting close to Lindholm. But then Fowler's been that consistent guy who's pretty much always been above 23 minutes all season. So no surprise, really, that he hit 27, especially with Lindholm being out of the lineup for a couple minutes tonight. He's a leader on this team. Yeah, uh, He's a quiet leader, and... He's somebody the Ducks organization takes a lot of pride in and bringing up to the system and, and having him on the squad and and he's played really well and he's he's a he's a guy you can trust you know what you're going to get from him night in and night out and he plays really well with Brandon Montour now as we said before they complement each other so I mean give him all the minutes in the world I think he's playing great hockey right now so keep feeding him yeah I I definitely agree with that I think he has to be the guy to lead for it and we talked about how rotating in those younger guys next year you're looking for those leaders on the blue line why like you said i think fowler's already that i mean you don't need to have a guy like bx or boschman back there to kind of lead the way because fowler's already already that guy and i think manson and Mon, uh, manson and lindholm sorry are kind of moving in that direction as well so the ducks definitely have some good young guys that can lead this blue line for a long time uh, moving over to Twitter and kind of shifting gears a bit, uh, Alex asks, should the Ducks consider rotating Vermette and Brown into the starting lineup? Because once again, they were scratched tonight. Vermette, no. Brown, yes. I think yeah. Brown should get some more playing time. Vermette, as we've said before the show, um, Carlisle's even called him out for being slow. I, I feel like winning, winning face-offs is not a reason yeah. to have a contract in the NHL. You need to play the game. Yeah, yeah, he's a one-trick pony. He wins face-offs, and, and that's pretty much it. And I think that's why Derek Grant has kind of solidified that spot as a fourth-line center because we mentioned him a lot and had some praise for him in the in the last show about how he could be the fourth-line center for the Ducks for the for the near future, just based on his play. I, I think he deserves it. He's obviously you know gets some some jabs from the fans saying he's that Derek Grant elite center based on the fact that he's been in and out and up and down the lineup all season due to injuries, but. I mean, he's been great. Uh, he's been an excellent addition. Derek Grant has to this Ducks team, which I don't think you would have thought when he was acquired or when he was signed in the off season. Uh, and he's bumped Antoine Vermet completely out of that um, out of that fourth line, and definitely does not look like Antoine Vermet's going to be back next season. No, and I, and like we said before, we're not, we don't really think Chris Kelly or Jason Chimera will either. Um, what is JT Brown's contract status? Not to put you on the spot. I but believe he's a he, UFA or yeah, he's a UFA he, RFA. He's not. I don't think he's an RFA, but he's he's a free agent come July first. Okay. I do you think he comes back or no? I did when they first signed him. They were playing him a lot. Now he's. I don't even. What has it been? Three games since he played. I, it's I think been it, it's several been, for sure. Yeah, it's been a few and. Um, it, it's kind of interesting because they've preferred to have Chris Kelly down there other than JPT Brown and. And we'd mentioned before how I think I would like to see Derek Grant, Chimera, and JT Brown out there. I think that's the ideal fourth line for the Ducks. It's, it provides a little blend of offense, grit, a little bit of speed. It's not obviously the best fourth line in the National Hockey League, but I think it's the best option for the Ducks. I would agree with that. I'd like to see JT Brown take Kelly's spot for sure. Yeah. Um, so continuing the trend on Twitter, we had Victor ask and this is a new question because i don't think we've really thought of this he said is playing with seven defensemen a possibility for this ducks teams who struggle on the blue line i honestly didn't think Hmm. of that i mean that's kind of an interesting way to go i I think it takes away from it a bit but really what you're taking then chris kelly out of the lineup and, and you're rotating somebody in 
on that fourth line, whether it be Andre Kasher and Nick Ritchie rotating in on that fourth line. I don't hate it. I think it's it's a decent option because it, it takes... <laughs> See, this is the thing, though. Because then then what? You're, you know that seventh guy is going to be Boschman or Bieksa. So then, instead of having them both out of lineup, now you've got them both splitting minutes throughout the game. I don't think it really adds anything to it unless that seventh guy was a Jakob Larson and Jacob Magna, Andy Walensky, even maybe a Holzer. Though that's the only way it makes it better is when you're limiting Bjergsen and Boschman's minutes on the ice. No, I'd have to agree with you on that one too. Um, I feel that it's not a Carlisle move. It's definitely something that is at this point with our defense worth looking at for that third pair. But I don't know if that would move the needle like you said all that much. Because yeah. if even if you change that bottom pairing, it, it's not like the minutes that are killing him, it's the deployment that kills us. So if it's Larson and Pedersen, I'm all for it. But if you're going to have to take a guy out of the lineup um, coming from the forward, the forward side of things, you have to make sure that, seven, that, that defense core is your best guys. And you're still going to have to have, at that point, another defender that's not good that you're rotating in, right? So I feel yeah. I feel like it might not be the best option, but interesting question. I appreciate that. We Actually, you and I have never even talked about that. Yeah, and it's not something teams do often anyway, like on a regular basis. I think there was like last year, Tampa was that only team that was just doing that like a night-in, night-out basis. Uh, and it was kind of weird to see them do that, just consistently roll seventh defenseman. So I don't think it's something the Ducks do on a regular basis. Maybe like one or two games here and there to kind of switch things up. But like you said, it takes away from that forward lineup and then you're double shifting a guy, which is never a great thing. So I I don't see them doing it long term. But yeah, I mean, it's always nice to hear a different side of it because you and me hadn't thought of that. So it's it's nice to kind of have that uh, different opinion in there. Um so next question on Twitter, we're coming to a little bit of an end here. Uh, Randall said, in your opinion, is Kessler now a liability out there, or would you rather have him at 65% rather than, say, a healthy body, uh, somebody else? He doesn't really, he didn't really mention who it would be, but having somebody else out there instead of having Kessler being 65%. I feel like he's turned a corner a little bit. You and I have talked about him the past couple of games. Um, he's getting healthier, and I feel like I would take the Kessler that, that we have right now than somebody in the system that's not used to playing with the lineup that we have right now. I don't think there really yeah. is a Kessler replacement that we can slot in. Yeah. So I think you, you're not only are you stuck with it, but I feel like it's the Ducks' best option overall anyway because there's no way he's not going to play. Uh, this guy is just a fierce competitor who's going to play through whatever injury he has, and we're going to get the best of Kessler hopefully in training camp. He's going to come back and – Obviously, his numbers and stuff will regress a little bit, just like everybody's does in this league. His league has gotten faster and younger. But uh, I think we're going to get a better Kessler at the start of next season than we are right now. Yeah, and, and an interesting kind of shift. Ducks fans actually replied to that uh, that uh, question that Randall had on Twitter and said, actually, Silverberg he believes, is 100% at fault and a liability on that line, coughing up the puck on a consistent basis. I wonder how you feel about that. That's interesting. He's definitely not scoring right now, um, and I've noticed that line just hasn't been clicking the way it's been. Um, but they weren't really strong without Kessler either, right? Remember they kept saying, oh, this line's going to get better once Kessler's back, and now Kessler's back, and this line is still not 
the same shutdown line that we've all you know been watching for the, over the past couple of seasons. Yeah, I would have to watch more closely on on Jacob Silverberg's play. I usually watch him uh, when he has the puck, and he's definitely not getting you know the grade A scoring chances we've seen him have in the past. So I don't know if people have locked him down, or if he's just you know the the cliche squeezing his, tick, his stick too tight, or just not getting his uh, his shot away the way he usually does. Yeah, I think so, and I feel like it's just been a down season altogether, not just for him, but that entire line. And I, I think that's the only thing I can say. Let's wait till next year and see if they do better. Uh, I think you can give them a benefit of the doubt with the fact that they haven't been together for an entire season. Kessler is not playing at 100%. And I think those kind of all come into it together. Last thing, ending on a, a note that we had talked about on the last show, uh, Gordon Bombay saying the Samoas are safe tonight. So the Girl Scout cookies are not <laughs> cookies coming are out. Safe. Yeah, they're, they're safe for another night. <laughs> Hopefully they're safe for like the next three or four games at least, and the Ducks keep yeah. crushing along here. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and, and uh, put a bow on it, man. And with just a little bit of love to everybody who's tuned in, everybody who's downloaded, uh, everybody who's popped in live in our chat or live listening to this broadcast. We love you guys. We appreciate it. Um We've gotten a great response, I feel like, on yeah. uh, on iTunes so far. Plenty of reviews. If anybody hasn't done that and you would love to give us a little bit of love, like Eddie has said before, it helps people uh, see this show when they search. So go to iTunes, give us a five-star, leave a comment that we'd love you guys. It'd be great. And uh, Eddie, where else can they grab us? Yeah, so, I mean, the main place is Spreaker, where a lot of you, if you're listening live or listening to the next day, are finding us. If not, like Patrick already mentioned, you can find us on iTunes. Spreaker sends it out pretty much everywhere, so they send it out to SoundCloud, sends it out to iHeartRadio, it sends it out to a bunch of different podcast apps through Google Play and through iTunes. So anywhere you you can think of to consume your podcast, you're pretty much going to find it there. Uh, But uh, as always, I mean, the main ones are going to be Spreaker and iTunes for us. And and like Patrick said, thank you so much, guys, for the support already in Spreaker and on iTunes. It's it's been great. I mean, I can't believe it's only been seven games and the support we've had live in the next day has been amazing. Yeah, no, we appreciate you guys, and we'll see you guys on Friday. We hope so, right? That might be the yeah. question mark. Um, if we, Stay if we're gonna do a tuned. show, yeah. But at the time might be really late, just because yeah. I have a prior obligation. I have to be out with family. Uh, there will be a show, just as to when the time will be up to be downloaded or live. We'll keep you guys posted. Yeah, definitely stay tuned for the link. I mean, we'll we'll let you guys know beforehand. It's not like we're going to say, oh, we're going to be live in 20 minutes after the game, and all of a sudden, oh, it's going to be about three hours. We'll let you guys know a couple, uh, probably, what, a day beforehand, I would think, if we're going to be live, whether right after the game or a couple hours after, I would think. Yeah, we'll keep them posted throughout the day for sure. So that's it for us, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys late Friday, Saturday morning.